0: Charlie
1: Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OCTalkRadio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Today's May 27, 2016. I'm Charlie Wright. Thank you for joining us, and we're very pleased to have with us for the very first time Sandra Powers, founder and CEO of Arc Global out of Boston, Massachusetts. Sandra, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio.
2: Thank you Charlie it's a pleasure to be here.
1: So Sandra Arc Global is consultants to the investment management industry in marketing and distribution services. Please give us a beginning a little of your background.
2: Sure. Um, I've been in the financial services industry for more than two decades, and after a decent period of time at State Street Global Advisors, about a decade, I launched Arc Global to provide turnkey marketing and consulting and distribution services to some niche investment managers.
1: Okay, and are those the kinds of things that uh, you were doing at State Street, or um, uh, were you more portfolio manager? What were you doing there?
2: That's a great question. I was uh, responsible for marketing and communications related to our largest pension plan clients, clients like Boeing and UPS and Waste Management, uh, and also worked in the small plan business as well as the college savings plan business. So it was our job to make sure that we educated investors on how to best take advantage of these retirement plan solutions at State Street.
1: Okay, so tell us, what is it that Art Global does for whom?
2: Absolutely, and I will start by mentioning that ARC Global is a registered broker-dealer. We're a member of FINRA, SIPC, registered with the MSRB, and, of course, as you know, Charlie, the opinions I share with you today are my own um, and shouldn't be construed as specific advice, but hopefully we can share some interesting uh, ideas that will help your listeners. What ARC does is that we work with investment managers seeking institutional capital and with institutional investors seeking high-quality and differentiated investment managers, uh, typically in unique spaces. We inherently don't think that the biggest firms necessarily offer the best investment management. That managers that are smaller, more nimble, more focused uh, can really add a lot to a diversified investment portfolio. Um, and so that's the market we seek to assist. We really work with managers generally anywhere from 50 million in assets up to 5 billion in assets, and uh, ranging from purely consulting with them to providing turnkey distribution services uh, to help them raise assets in the institutional market
1: okay so so tell you, it sounds like what you do is you put together institutional uh, companies that have money to invest and uh, investment management companies in the industry who invest that money and you put those two together
2: Yeah, Charlie, really what we're focused on doing all day long is talking with institutional investors, talking to them about what they're looking for, what are their criteria, what are their searches that they're interested in, what types of asset classes are they looking at, what types of product structures, and then we talk to managers who want to receive those assets and help them with their positioning so that they can best earn those assets and compete with some of the larger firms.
1: And so your clients are both of those categories or just one?
2: Yes, we consider both of them our clients. Ultimately, the institutional investors who look to hire managers um, and then our managers that we are actively representing in the market, we would consider both of those to be our clients. Our primary client, of course, is the manager that we are, are contracted to to represent ultimately, uh, but we certainly look at these institutions as as key constituents and and clients as well.
1: So let me ask you a question out of the blue that uh, has come up repeatedly in the past few days and things that I've been reading and listening to, uh, and that is the fees of uh, the hedge fund industry and people have been coming out especially recently saying that this two and twenty model is just not going the last that the hedge fund industry has not been producing the kind of outsized and oversized returns that would justify that level of compensation are you finding that in the industry or are hedge funds holding their own with that compensation model
2: you know, Charlie, it's a great question. We are certainly finding a lot of downward pressure on fees across the industry. This has been happening for several years now. There are some of the largest branded hedge funds that tend to still be able to get uh, higher fees, but we're certainly seeing a more common fee level to be down to one and a half, um, 125, and then seeing an incentive fee that's 10 15% versus the 20 Uh Certainly for managers that are coming into the market, we think that the 2 and 20 model is is not really uh, really a reliable way to expect to, to raise assets today. Ultimately, though, you know, investors need to consider what their net return is, um, and so we always want to make sure we're cautioning that, Net return is what people should look at. Having said that, there's so much product on the market today that is fee-conscious, and investors should certainly be looking at that, and we expect to see continued downward pressure on those fees, not only for hedge funds but across the industry uh, in general.
1: Hey, you know, the Wall Street Journal in particular and the financial media in general have been very, very hard uh, and harsh on the uh, Hedge fund industry in the past few weeks and months, claiming that they have uh, been underperforming the market, etc. And I understand that there uh, have been a, a significant number of hedge funds that have exited the market. Um, do you find that institutions are less satisfied than previously with hedge funds, or are they still as conti- uh, continue to be as interested as ever?
2: You know, it's an interesting question, Charlie. I think sometimes, um, you know, blanket statements in terms of the industry can be broad. There's always going to be outliers and exceptions to the rule in terms of performance and in terms of fees. Uh, having said that, there is certainly a lot of pressure on the hedge fund industry. It has it's certainly struggled to produce the level of returns that would justify the fee structure and other factors related to hedge funds. An LP structure also brings with it additional paperwork and, you know, a little less transparency, etc. Um, and those are all things investors need to consider. Having said that, we recently looked at some data from eVest, and they de- they indicated that over 30% of all searches in 2016 are listed in the alternative category among institutions. So um, maybe it's a space we love to hate, uh, but I think that there is always a desire to understand what uh, a more agile, flexible, long-short type strategy can do versus a long-only manager that can only take long. Position So we think that while there's certainly downward pressure and there's certainly um, a consolidation happening in the market, that the alternative asset class, which, of course, is more broad than hedge funds, but that we will continue to see uh, that marketplace grow regardless uh, as investors continue to try to find unique ways to to generate returns.
1: So, Sandra, tell us, uh, evaluating hedge funds and other investment managers – is a very daunting task, and often a lot of information is not available. They're not as transparent as others are. Uh, and for those of us uh, who would like to do more of that but who find it very difficult, uh, how, how do you see people being able to evaluate money managers other than by sheer performance record?
2: That is such a great and important question, Charlie. In our experience, the obvious answer is not the right one. Of course, performance is critical, but without strong, consistent performance, it is difficult to get the attention of institutional investors. There are so many other factors that institutions consider, and it is certainly our job to evaluate these factors prior to even considering representing a manager, because we know that these managers are going to be held to the highest standard by institutions, and there's many Factors outside of performance that really investors should consider that we're looking at carefully and that managers need to prepare. Um, here are a couple of ones that come to mind. First, the concept of a team. A team is really critical to institutional investors. Um, you know, the word team indicates that it's not one person, and institutions want to hire a firm they want to to manage assets. Often a track record can be developed by a single investment professional, but what we find is to succeed over the long term in attracting and retaining assets. Um, what you really need is a minimum level of high-quality team in order to be able to do your uh, ongoing research, in order to be doing um, any sort of consistent uh, review of the portfolio and process. So we think a team and a good quality team is important. We want to do extensive reference checks. We want to talk to investors, institutional potential investors who know the market and are active in that particular segment and know the space um, and ideally know the team and or are directly invested with the manager. So I would certainly say that um, that's an comport- important factor that you're not looking at a single investor, uh, investment manager the second thing I think is very important for us is a clean record uh, you know the the market is very well aware of risks investors can certainly look at FINRA.org and broker check system to get background information but there are so many times when um, you know institutions will see things in a manager's record they dig really deep and oftentimes you'll interview managers several times over and you know eventually they'll say well you know I failed to mention or there's a missing window of time in their track record so so we think really having a clean record, using background check tools like Alexis Nexus, doing Google searches, making sure if you can't visit the office location that there really is an office there, <laughs> um, is is really those are important things. Looking at legal and regulatory history, um, you know, you you really want to take a deep dive into the track record of the individuals, not just of the of the performance numbers that you're seeing.
1: You know, that, that's a great point. Often when I read in the industry uh, journals about uh, you know, people have been uh, uh, found guilty of uh, Ponzi scheme types of uh, irregularities, etc. Very often, uh, they say that well, this person was found guilty of something different. You know, um, uh, you know, five years earlier or something like that. And I, I can recognize the the importance of that. Anything else would we should be looking for in our due diligence on these money managers?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the track record, it's not just about the numbers. You really want to understand portfolio positioning. We spend so much time with managers asking them over and over again in the same way, in different ways, we'll ask the portfolio managers separately, I try to speak to them separately. We want to understand what goes behind their thinking. If you're hiring a large cap manager and they've drifted into mid cap or small cap and that's not the exposure you're looking for, or maybe they're utilizing cash very um, you know, judicious that can be great for your strategy or it can be very negative based on the correlation to other components. So we believe that really going through with managers in great depth, the track record, not for the numbers, but for the actual investments they were making. What was their thought process behind a specific investment? Why did they get out of investment? Why did they get into it? Where were their exposures over time? You know, we don't like surprises. So everything about what we do is really about trying to avoid the surprises and bringing to institutions managers that we really feel we have as much knowledge as you can have, and we think investors really really do themselves a disservice by not looking beyond the track record and not looking beyond the numbers and really trying to get a better handle on what is the thinking, what has been the allocations, and how does that manager tick uh, in different market environments.
1: Sandra, hold that right there. We need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to, we're going to talk about some of the aspects that make uh, successful investing so difficult, even for these highly paid professionals. Again, we're talking with Sandra Powers, founder and CEO of ARC Global out of the Boston area, and you're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we'll be right back.
0: According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. All right, back to Charlie and his
1: guests. Thank you, Paul. Again, we're talking with Sandra Powers, founder and CEO of ARC Global out of Boston. So, Sandra, I heard Ray Dalio interviewed recently, and he said that making money through investing, even for professionals, he claims is more difficult than making it to the Olympics. So what are some of the elements of investing, of the investment business, that make it so challenging?
2: (laughs) I love that analogy, Charlie. I I tried to make the Olympics as a swimmer years ago and didn't quite get there, so I can just say I think that analogy is spot on. Um, I think it comes down to two things that occur, one that really is in the control of the investor and manager um, and one that is really outside of of the control of the market. Uh, What we can't control is clearly macro factors. There, There are significant outside factors occurring in the marketplace regularly with the globalization of the economy, the advent of such advanced technology, It just seems that there's always some algorithm or a new scheme or something that is impacting markets that's really outside of the control of the investor and often even the money manager and the thesis and philosophy in which they manage. Um, So we believe that no matter how well vetted an idea or strategy is, that diversification is really critical because macro factors will get in the way over time. Uh, The thing that we feel like Can be controlled. That maybe is is an area that we spoke about a little bit recently, a few minutes ago. That we should reiterate is what we would probably determine uh, to be let's call them human factors. So our experience really shows that no matter how little or big the manager is, or how big or little the institution is, that changes and sort of life happening is inevitable. Um, And these seemingly little things that may fall out of the purview of you looking at a manager or thinking about an investor really can cause them to take their eye off the ball and can have a significant impact on a a firm, never mind a strategy. Managers get divorced. They have family issues that come up. They have partnership issues that come up. Uh, Managers get burnt out. Uh, institutions get sidetracked and lose focus on good ideas for reasons of, you know, some other direction that a new CEO wants to take. Uh, research teams change their focus. They decide they want to go entirely passive or, they, you know, they decide they want to, you know, eliminate hedge funds. So we see some pretty significant human factors at play, some subtle that you may not know about unless you're really asking the right questions and really tracking a manager regularly and some that are more uh, more obvious uh, that we see but i would say overall we can't control the macro factors. We can at least try to have a handle on and understand the human factors, and that's where most investment managers fail, one of those two categories.
1: You know, uh, Sandra, it's an excellent point. Uh, you and I met at the uh, through the Alts LA conference, and I remember one of the speakers at the conference was talking about he was calling upon a very, very successful hedge fund manager, and he went to the manager's office and sat out in the lobby for uh, 20, 30 plus minutes. And when he finally got ushered in, He expected the the guy to say, Oh, you know, I I, I was talking to Paris, uh, you know, to our office there. I was talking to, uh, you know, our big institutional client. He said, No. The guy said, No, I I, I had to have you wait because I was working on my architectural drawings for my new house. (laughs) And and so that happens. People lose focus when they become very successful, especially uh, making lots of money. And uh, these other things uh, create focus. And we certainly know, how divorce and other things can take their toll, both on the success side and on the struggling side. They can take their toll on things, and uh, and enlight- and that goes together with what you talked about before. When you have a star system, and that star has their struggles, either they go through you know physical health challenges, or they're training for a marathon, or a divorce, or they're building a house, or whatever it is. That can take a real toll on the investments, and uh, you know their egos have been pumped over uh, several years often of uh, quality performance and they're just not not doing the job and so I guess that's part of your job is to figure out not only where that is happening but where it's happened in the past and where it's where, where they're you're they're culpable that, that possibly could happen because they have a star system so that's part of the due diligence you perform I presume
2: Absolutely. I mean, we've had managers who pulled out cell phones and started texting in the middle middle of uh, introductory meetings, and we're thinking, well, if they're not doing that with us, how focused are they going to be in front of an institutional investor? Um, and we, we, if you go to someone's office, you can often often see dynamics that are happening among the staff or people that are not there that should be there, and you start to dig a little deeper into what's going on. So it, it does take face time, and it does take really thinking about these non on quantitative factors to really get the right mix, uh, in our opinion.
1: So, Sandra, a question we like to ask all of our guests. What keeps you awake at night?
2: Well, as most entrepreneurs and small business owners, I think probably everything uh, keeps me awake at night. The regulatory landscape certainly keeps me awake at night, uh, really because we want to make sure that our managers and the institutions we market to are all doing the right thing uh, by each other and by the market. Uh, we're praying that those human factors particularly don't get in the way of good management and good allocating. Uh, cybersecurity keeps us awake at night, for sure. How do we make sure? You know, we don't hold any customer data. We don't do any But there's still, um, even within that, there's just always that concern of someone hacking into your website or, um, you know, somehow impacting your data. Um, But there's a lot that keeps us awake at night. What allows us to sleep is a deeper level of due diligence and time spent, really getting to know the managers and the investors in hopes that we're helping both to have good long-term engagements.
1: Okay, thank you. And the second question we like to ask our guests is, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners?
2: Oh, that's a great question, Charlie. And actually, I think I'm going to give you one that I very much doubt your readers, uh, your listeners will have read. Um, it's a rather recent book that came out in the past year by Meredith Jones, and the book is titled Women of the Street. And it talks about how women money managers are different. Uh, I think the premise that different backgrounds result in different frameworks and thus different return streams is really worth thinking about, and it's not limited to women. I think the book really sheds the light on the notion that an individual, background and history is really going to dictate how they respond to different market conditions. Um, and so while you might look at a ten, you know five, ten-year performance track record and see something that looks similar, the ride that you would have over those five or ten years and the level of information and back and forth you're going to get will be different based on the background of that manager. So so we would suggest Meredith Books, Joan, Women of the Street, certainly if people are interested in thinking about the dynamics of a portfolio manager's mindset outside of just the numbers.
1: Sandra, you're right. No one has recommended that in about and 50 times we've asked that question. So uh, thank you very much for that. It sounds like an excellent, excellent uh, recommendation here. So please provide your website and contact information for our listeners here, Sandra.
2: Sure, Charlie. All of our contact information and actually some interesting and free commentary uh, can be found at www.arkglobalonline.com. That's A-R-K-globalonline.com. And uh, you can find anything there that you would like to know about us.
1: Okay, very good. So, So give us final words for our listeners here, Sandra.
2: Well, you know, Charlie, we talked a lot today about looking at managers and thinking about hedge funds. We've we've heard literally thousands of investment manager stories through the past two decades. Um, those that sound too good to be true typically are. Uh, and managers should generally be equally as excited to talk to you about their team, about their culture, about their focus on operations, about how they service clients and how they report to clients as they are to talk about their performance. The numbers are given, you know, a certain amount of perspective, but at the end of the day, if... In institutions, and if managers do a good job communicating on those slightly more intangible things, we think that ultimately provides the best result.
1: You know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I remember reading uh, the book *The Big Short*, and one of the real lessons <laughs> I learned from that book was that uh, the, uh, the one of the four highlighted uh, money managers who had called the uh, the bond market accurately. Uh, had Asperger's disease. I believe he was the, uh, the MD. And, uh, it showed that he had a tremendous return for his clients, but at the end of the day, he was managing no more money than he had started with. In other words, even though he had made all this money for his clients, so many of them left him. And they left him because he was such an oddball and didn't know how to connect with people, etc. So it's not just about performance, like you say. It's about all of these other factors uh, that are so very, very important as well. Well, Sandra, this has been an excellent interview. We really appreciate you being on with us today. And thank you very much for joining us and sharing your insights with us.
2: It's my pleasure, Charlie. Thanks for
1: having me. So again, we've been talking with Sandra Powers, founder and CEO of Art Global out of uh, Boston area, and you've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you're not hearing elsewhere. We'd love to hear from you. Contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. This is Charlie Wright wishing you an enjoy